Hey, what is going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mario's Minute. In case you do not know, this is a monthly podcast I do here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, as well as on many major podcasting platforms. If you are checking this out in the visual format, just a video that has a photo in the background, like, you know, my channel cover art and stuff and a in my opinion cool looking visualizer uh, you can check that out of course on my youtube channel or if you are wanting an audio only version of it simply look up mario's minute on your favorite podcasting app or provider and you should hopefully be able to find it there i know i'm not on all the providers but i'm at least on most of them now this is a podcast i do near the end of the month every month and i just talk about really whatever the hell i want to sometimes i have a guest on sometimes i don't i know i did fumble a little bit recently because I try and do it so that every other episode I have a guest on. Uh, but pretty recently, I just I talked about this, I think, in the April episode or one of the previous episodes where I just said, hey, my bad. Uh, I didn't get an episode for this. I didn't get a uh, person for this month, a guest. But, uh, you know, we got one this time around. So, you know, as I always ask here to my guests, uh, what guest here in question, uh, who the hell are you? Hey, I'm Blaine Lockler. Thanks a lot for having me on Mario's Minute. Oh, hey, no problem, Blaine. How are you doing today? Wonderfully well. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm doing pretty well. I know we had uh, talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, uh, aside from that, it's just I could just do with less rain and just better weather. That's what I would be wishing for right now. That's about the only bad thing that's going on right now. Hey, come visit me in South Carolina. It's been fantastic. 80s, sunny, beautiful weather. That sounds great. Like over here, the the temperature hasn't been all too bad. It's just constant rain at times and like really violent rains and then kind of like flooding conditions. And uh, oh, and then a few tornado watches. And it's just it, it's just not been the best. No kidding. It's been it's been really great. See, I have this I have the standard, though, that I measure this by if, if it's a passing grade in school by by score, the weather's good. Anything that would be a failing grade in school is probably bad weather for me, and I'm going to shelter in place. That does make sense. I'm even thinking about that now. So like, at least in Fahrenheit for any of our people who are in, I guess, the, the, the parts of the world that use the proper system. I'm sorry. We use the, the Fahrenheit system is not as good as Celsius there. But uh, no, I, I, I guess I would agree with you on that. Yeah, like I'm cool with like 60s and higher. But once you get to like 50s, that's when you kind of got to start bundling up. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about the the Celsius. Yeah, if I guess if it was between 70 and 100 Celsius, I'd be boiling. Yeah, yeah, we'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like starting off the chat on a morose beginning. Oh, exactly. But sometimes you got to do that. Just like remind everyone of what's been going on. It's all. Yeah, happens. no doubt. <laughs> so for anybody who does not know who you are, I guess, who are you and what do you do? Well, at, at this point, I do full-time YouTube. I, I, and I'm, primarily focused around gaming and a lot of it is based on game console mods and emulation. I started YouTube actually in 2017 and for the first two years I had two subscribers and one of them was my wife. So it, it, needless to say it wasn't a, a, a huge journey into the realm of success on the YouTube platform and I can tell you I, I can tell you when I made the transition from having two subscribers to moving up in the 41,000 range as of today. It was when I looked at the word YouTube and came to the conclusion that the you and YouTube wasn't me. It was every other person on YouTube but me. 
See, everybody kind of tunes in, and justifiably so. They tune into a radio station I like to call WIIFM Radio, which is what's in it for me. So when I changed the focus of how I approached YouTube as a creator from simply being like, well, I enjoy this and I want to talk about this to what is it other people are passionate about? What are their pain points? What is it they're interested in learning? When I made that transition in, in terms of how I approached the platform, everything changed. And, and, I, and I want to share this also. I, you really inspired me with your own content to kind of start taking this journey. And uh, all the way back to the first time I tried to, to jailbreak a PlayStation Portable, and I messed it up so bad. And it wasn't wasn't your video, by the way, but I messed it up so bad, <laughs> I had to get a Pandora. No, I had to mail it to somebody with a Pandora battery to, to fix it. So I, I went from that beginning journey up to trying to help other people learn how to do things and, and not brick them. And, and it's been so much fun. And I think the most enjoyable thing that I have found about all of this at this point have been the people on YouTube that are part of this shared hobby and the shared community and shared passion for gaming that you and I both have. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's that's awesome. That's really awesome to hear. And like, I'm <laughs> I, I'm flattered. I, I can be a inspiration on there. But I was just trying to I was just trying to help some people. Out. That's all it was. And like, it might sound superficial, but it's like, no, that's literally at least that's how I got my start in it. Where it was very much it it, it didn't really come down to that. It was more. I guess I got my own personal official start uh, with, with the Mr. Mario people know of today, uh, where I was trying to figure out how to do things with the Xbox 360, different mods and such. And it was kind of at a point of frustration where it was like, I just spent three days combing through old forum posts, going through random things, asking questions and looking up old outdated videos that don't explain super small granular things. I'm going to pick up a camera and talk about all these little details so that people don't have to do the same thing I just did for three days. That's awesome. I, I really started my whole passion for all of this stuff when I realized how much of the history of gaming is being lost every single day. And it happens, mm-hmm. it happens in a vacuum and silence. And here's a great example. I had, I, 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 the, the only console my wife and I have between the two of us for all of the things we ever had growing up was we have her Atari 2600. All of the consoles I grew up with are gone. And it's through, and, and they typically have been gone either through moves or through divorce. For example, my, my stepfather, Threw away my Atari 2600, my ColecoVision, my Vectrex. Oh, no. Yep. My Nintendo NES, my Trash 80 computer, all of that stuff. Threw it all away in the dumpster. Because it was all trash to him, right? Yeah. Trash it. Well, Trash 80, I get, but the rest of the stuff was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the rest of it wasn't. There's some gems in there. And, and they, they went into a dumpster, and they're, they're certainly in pieces in a landfill somewhere. But our history in gaming is literally being destroyed day by day. And mm-hmm. so I have thought about the concept of jailbreaking and modding and all of these things, emulation, all of these things. They have nothing to do with piracy and everything to do with preservation because the history of all of these things and access to them is being lost every day. And so by by in by jailbreaking and modding and emulation and all these things, it empowers us to retain those pieces of video game history that have, that are literally five decades old. In fact, I met the man 
who made the first ever video game console. I met Ralph Fair. He was 85 years old at the time. Really? And it, was, it was at uh, Fun Spot in New Hampshire. He was there for a celebrity appearance. And uh, I, I awesome. spoke with him, met Ralph Bear, the first man to, to, to ever make a home. He made the Brown Box, which became the Magnavox Odyssey. I met him. So, so the history runs, runs five decades, and it's, it's important, and it's more relevant now than ever because of the way that technology has changed. Thinking about things like how TVs are made. I have a, an OLED TV, and oh, I call it the Battle Station. It's the, my, my home <laughs> office. I call it the Battle Station. So the Battle Station has a 55-inch OLED TV with nothing but HDMI inputs on it. So how on earth are you going to take a Nintendo NES and hook it up to something like that unless you start thinking about ways either to mod the console or create intermediary devices like RetroTinks or OSSCs or FrameMeisters or things like that? If you don't have some plan like that, then not just as the history in terms of the culture loss, the ability to even turn the darn thing on and look at a picture gets lost. So... When I think about modding and jailbreaking in the, in the things that not only that you have taught so many people, but I've, I've had the privilege of meeting so many people that are so passionate about it. To me, it is a history and preservation matter. I, I really that that's that's an awesome way of looking at it, man. And I definitely agree with you on that. That's really unfortunate with like all the uh, all, all the background you had that got trashed there, at least. But that's a really awesome way of looking at it. And it's to a point now where like. I'm happy that a lot of people and even just companies are really cognizant of how important game preservation is now. But even so, it's like, as you said, a lot of these game consoles do have to be modified to, you know, get to this point and preserve what we have. And it's like, even some of the stuff, getting cartridge, you know, cartridge only systems or cartridge based systems, like offline cartridge systems out of the way, it's very much a thing of, it's not only limited to that, the original like the these are things that people bring up but it's like the original xbox live arcade going down that didn't happen all too long ago original xbox live did go down people kind of think that these services are always going to be working or even i think what's valuable to think of is like even working the same as they always have because it's like i know one game like modern warfare 2 for example we take that on ps3 at like current day a lot of people think like, oh, the servers are still up. You can still play it on the PS3. It works and you're going to run into like busted systems and such. But even if you have everything properly working, the environment's changed on there and not like as in nobody's playing. It's as in there's things on the game that are actually broken from what I know, for example, like I'm sure you've seen. But have you seen how um, on the PlayStation 4 now and I think even Vita and PS5, of course, you can change your PlayStation Network username? No, that's really cool. Oh, so you can do that, but it even warns you, like, because Sony didn't design the network with that in mind. So it even warns you, like, hey, this might break compatibility with older games. And at least according to another YouTuber, Casey's video, she had looked at this. And if you change your username on that account and you go back and play Modern Warfare 2, when you reboot the system, you'll lose all your progress on multiplayer. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. So that's a really either way going back to this, like I really value that like that your look at, you know, game modding and such on here. And for anybody who doesn't know, yeah, you you kind of do a bit of the same thing I do where you cover emulation and modding based tutorials. True. You know, it's been a lot of fun. And I have like I said, I really took a lot of inspiration. And what I have come to realize is 
everybody approaches the way that they, the artistic side of, of how they approach their content in a different way. I came to learn that even just the simplest little differences sometimes, I got a different camera angle. You got a different camera angle. You took a different approach to going this way. I took a different approach. The collection, the, the totality of this knowledge all put together benefits the community. And I always take that approach that is, is what I'm doing the right thing to serve the gaming community. And that has been tremendously helpful, not just with growing YouTube, but really just, just seeing comments from people that say, thanks so much. I really appreciate the help. I appreciate the insight, the way that you looked at something differently. The, the process of modding consoles between one YouTuber and another or, or one gamer and another is the same. It's the unique individual. The one thing that is unique about that person, the, the unis of them, is, is what is different between person to person. And, and that's why having more than one person even look at the same concept or same uh, ability to, to mod a console is helpful to the community as a whole. For sure, for sure. And, and even so, I've seen with, um, you get to see how people take, take different approaches on it as well too, because even if the process is the same, there might be some recommendations that are different, some things that you have to do differently, some other use cases that people have tried, which uh, even I'm not sure how many like developers of piece of software you've talked to in regards to like the tools that we use, but that's really helped with certain developers as well. Like, so I've, I've had developers where they look at my videos covering a certain thing. They're like, oh, I can explain this or, oh, I wasn't sure about this or this might be in the next update covering this little issue here. You know, what's amazing about YouTube to me. It's that there is literally room for everybody. Sure. The, you know, I, I, when <laughs> it's funny, I, I use TubeBuddy regularly and TubeBuddy's fantastic. But one of the things that I don't like about the way that they phrase this, I guess, in some ways is they, they, they look for competitors. Oh, these are your competing channels. You know what? I don't have one competing channel in the game modding scene or the emulation scene or the gaming scene. I don't have one single competitor. I have friends. Really? They're friends. Oh. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are in the same common hobby, the same common passion, the same common interest. That doesn't make us competitors. That makes us friends. That makes us people that, that enjoy the same things. John Maxwell says that connectors connect on common ground. And I can't think of a more common ground that people have maybe worldwide than their passion for gaming. The billions of people that enjoy gaming, whether it's on an old Atari, a brand spanking new PS5, and I've got both here, uh, mobile devices, it doesn't matter. There is so much commonality amongst people all over the world. And to suggest that they're competitors simply because we share space on a platform to me, that just seems like turning my back on the, the on my peeps. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> For sure. I have to say, we haven't talked like all that much. Like this is the first time we've actually talked voice to voice here. We've talked like on text before for probably a few months now, I want to say. Uh, but I just, I love the, the positivity that you radiate in terms of just everything that you do. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I am very much an optimist not always an idealist because an idealist always sees the world in, in the way that it should be. And, and, you know, I mean, I have my ideas on that as well, but an, an optimist is a person who always looks for the right side of things and the bright side of things. That person that sees the glass half full, not half empty, you know, that's, that's just the way I look at life. And I think the world needs more of that kind of thinking. I would agree. Sometimes, especially in times like this, you don't want to have just like, it's not best to have, you know, the doomer mentality all the time. <laughs> 
I'm convinced that whatever it is, here we go with the heavy dope on the show. I'm convinced that what, <laughs> and you thought I was just going to talk about Atari. That, you know, I'm convinced that whatever it is you look for in the world is what you'll find. What you seek is what you find. So if you go out looking for the good stuff, then you're going to find the good stuff in life. If you go out looking for the bad stuff in life, well, then you'll always have a job at TMZ. Mm, yeah. <laughs> And then there we go. We end up insulting like the one person who's listening to us who works at TMZ. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is one thing I have one to ask as well, too. And I guess for lack of a better terms, it's your um, it's your delivery with like just how, how you've talked this entire time. Where did you pick that up from or like where did you really create that, I guess, for, for lack of a better term there? <laughs> Well, I, I spent time learning from Toastmasters, which is a group which helps people learn public speaking. And I also joined the National Speakers Association as kind of a follow-up to that. And I've had a lot of opportunity to speak publicly, but I think the biggest thing I think the biggest thing is when I listened to myself in my first videos, it was literally like sounding like the, the air was getting sucked out of the room. Like, oh my gosh. I had no, you know, they say the camera adds 10 pounds. Well, let me tell you what, talking to a microphone and talking with your normal conversational voice will absolutely suck the enthusiasm right out of your voice. So I, I just, I said, you know what? I need to, I need to, to do better, speak louder, speak with more enthusiasm, you know, and it, and it came to me at one point. If people don't hear that I'm enthusiastic about what I'm sharing with them, why should they be? Hmm. Fair point. Fair point on that. <laughs> and that's, a, I mean, I'm sort of familiar with Toastmasters, but that's really cool because it's one of those things where it's, um, it's a lifelong skill that you get in regards to that. And it helps you out in everything, whether it be doing a recording or doing a speech or even just, you know, talking with a friend or making a connection, what have you. That's awesome to see. They have an interesting way of making sure that you you get to feel a little bit of humiliation the first time you go there because they'll give you a, a like a jar and they'll say, pick one of the little slips out of here. And you have to talk for two minutes spontaneously with no preparation about whatever it is that you pull out of the jar. I think I pulled out the <laughs> word pickle. So you have to huh. talk about pickles for two minutes without any preparation in front of a group of people. Go. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're green. Um they're, they're kind of made out of cucumbers. Yeah, it's, it's, you, you get a real quick indoctrination into the importance of preparation and, and how you deliver and how you get people engaged and storytelling and all of those kind of things. It's been, it was a wonderful experience for me. That's awesome. And it definitely changed, like that exercise, that can vary so wildly from person to person. Because like in, uh, in college, for example, like I took a, I bring this up because I took a public speaking class, which I got a B in. I'm annoyed about that. Um, <laughs> I, it was one of those things. My delivery was great. I'm pretty confident with my delivery on everything. It was just the actual speech writing could have been a little bit better, which I, I totally contend with. But we actually had one of those exact same exercises, except it was one minute instead of two minutes. So they didn't want to fry us as much there. Well, you know what? It's, 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 there's there's no indoctrination into something like trial by fire. So when you go in and you're like, oh gosh, I just stood in front of all these people and had no idea, then you get that message internally, but you also realize everyone's in it together. And that the mm -hmm. people in the audience are not rooting against you. They're rooting for you. They want you to be great. They need you to be great. They, they want to be entertained and amused and have something that they can take away from it. And once you get that and you build up that confidence in yourself, everybody benefits from it. Sure. Sure. 
and even because uh, when you're saying confident like not confidence um but like audience in terms of like something like a speech or something like that i guess well now you know assuming they're not recorded the, the nice thing about it as well too is you can also realize you know what i could just make this delivery even if i if i flub a little bit i'm talking to you know 50 people and it's going to be over it's fine and it stays right yeah what what happens in the classroom stays in the classroom but exactly. on the internet everything's so completely different now where mm-hmm. what what gets flubbed up on the internet stays on the internet forever yeah yeah for for better or worse depends on what it is but i'm thinking there like so get this i'm not sure if you have like any any tip uh in regards to like how you can get comfortable behind a microphone or something, or even like in terms of like public speaking, which like now, you know, with, with a pandemic and such, I haven't really done it all that much, but it was funny because in college, like I was doing videos and such and a switch kind of flipped in me, which I'm like a very, very small use case here. So that's why I didn't even really give this tip to friends because I knew it would really mess with their heads. But for me, if I ever felt like any butterflies or I was unsure about public speaking, I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to be telling this speech to a class of like 20 people of which three of the people in there are going to care and then the bell's going to ring and we're going to be done i've messed up and flubbed and done things in videos that have gotten tens of thousands of views i can do this it's fine so my comfort zone on stage was i would pretty much to or not stage but like in front of the class as opposed to seeing people there i would kind of just pretend everyone was one giant camera and i got a lot more comfortable and it's funny because it worked for me but some of my friends who were like the most like one friend in particular she was like the most exuberant like extroverted loud person and she was awful with public speaking and she was really asking for how i was able to get so comfortable with it and when i told her that i was like you don't want to hear my tip you really don't and then she kept pressing me for it and i told her and she just flipped out she's like that makes it worse i was like exactly that's why i didn't want to tell you I have heard before that if you are nervous in front of a group of people that you're supposed to just imagine them in their underwear and that you'll suddenly feel better. I have tried to stay away from that, especially knowing some of the people in some of the groups that I've had to speak in front of. I'll just leave it at that. But you know what I did that kind of helped me? <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what I did that really helped. I, I, and I read this in a book and it, it worked really well for me. Is if, especially if you're going to speak with a, a small group of people, four or five people, say it like a, a job promotional interview or something like that. I would draw faces on like eight and a half, 11, eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper, just draw them on there with a Sharpie and put them in a semicircle in front of where I'm speaking. So if I had to practice fielding a question from someone, I would take the question from them and then be able to answer to everybody in the group. And that way I would have to make face contact, eye-to-eye contact with each person and spend a few seconds with each of them so that everybody still felt connected. And that just hmm. kind of made things a little easier for me along the way. Gotcha. That's for all really of the cool. people who tuned in for the podcast on gaming to learn public speaking skills, they're going to be so impressed, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's how these episodes go. We just talk about a little bit of everything. Yeah. I was, uh, y- you know... Not gaming related at all, but I did. Uh, I, I felt like I was going to bring this up. I wanted to talk with you about it, but I just wanted to ask because you're. I mean, you're older than me on here, and I was going to say you're that. I know that's one of the things, respectfully, a lot of people have seen, where it's a kind of a big shock in terms of seeing someone older in the modding scene and covering the videos and the content you cover and such. And I, I just need to know, you know, with that extra wisdom and everything. 
currently right now, like 2020, 2021, is this not like the craziest time you've ever lived in or have you lived in a crazier time? Did you actually just use the word me and wisdom in the same sentence? You're talking yes, about I me, did. right? I'm just checking. Yes, 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 I did. Yes, I did, Blaine. Okay. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really is a crazy time. The, the, the pandemic, certainly part of it, I, don't, I think nothing like that has happened in well over 100 years. But there, there are a lot of crazy things going on right now. Some of them are good. And, and you know what? The, the world needs some, some disruption when it comes to thinking about how we treat each other mm-hmm. and, and, and how we see each other. We shouldn't see each other and treat each other the way we did 100 years ago or 200 years ago. We, we should value every single person in, in, in a special and unique way. In fact, one of the people I learned from along my journey uh, he was actually a, a former minor league baseball player. In fact, he told me, he said, Blaine, every single person in the world is the most important person in the world to someone else. And when you start treating them that way, you'll be on the right path. And I started thinking about that. And that makes sense. And when I think about all of the, the situations that have happened in the United States across the last, especially across the last year to two years or so, and you think about those things and you think about every one of those people is the most important person in the world to someone else or was the most important person in the world to someone else. We've got to revise our thinking about things a little bit. So sometimes a disruption in the norm can be a very, very good thing. For sure. And that's a really good way of looking at it too. I see this where the wisdom's coming from. <laughs> I know even, uh, even on that, one thing I'd heard that kind of just resonated with me recently is we've never really, I think thankfully we're getting to the point where at least the U.S. we're kind of starting to get out of it now. Like I myself, I, I've been vaccinated. I covered in the last episode, but we haven't really had a moment where we all just kind of had to, hey, let's put our lives on pause for like a year. We have to just kind of like chill out for a little bit and just not do that much for the for for the greater good for a bit. For you know, for every person that that has suffered through this situation, lost their job and had financial restructuring, all of those things happened to them. There's been a person who said, you know, now I am finally free to be able to do something completely different in the way that I perceive work and the way that I perceive how I create value to the world, how I'm able to influence and impact others has come from all of this. Being able to have the flexibility to maybe work at home when they were always in an office. And maybe companies have had to start rethinking the whether or not they have to be so centralized as though we've got to rent this enormous space somewhere and have all of these people show up for the nine to five grind. Or should we reevaluate how work actually happens not just within the company, but within the people that serve the company. And so, you know, not everything that comes out of a, a, a change like this is always going to be a bad thing. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And I just know with some of the crazy stuff here, like, I'll tell you, the list that I had written in terms of like when I was thinking of this, just things that I never thought of we would hit was, of course, COVID-19. But even just weird things like for example the Suez canal blockage when that ended up just causing shortages and causing slowdowns and the economy got hit with that and then even like recently i think now it's fine thankfully but like the uh the colonial pipeline hack 
that end up happening and that's been thankfully remedied at this point but then we ended up having you know a self-imposed gas shortage with people all of a sudden buying up gas because they thought that it was going to be a major shortage it's like no that's not gonna happen but i'm just there there's times like that where i'm just looking at the world I'm like i i guess every time i try to imagine every time i try to see something like this i'm like this is way beyond anything I would have ever imagined. And sometimes it makes for some really great memes. I guess that's the silver lining of it in my head. Like the Suez Canal thing, I had a lot of fun laughing about that. But I was like, oh yeah, this is also really bad, but you kind of got to laugh to enjoy it in a way. You know, it's been the most fascinating thing for me to see in all of this has been how people that are in school, you know, teenagers and, and kids that are in school now, how they perceive the value of school. Now, as I mm-hmm. like to say, when I, was, when I was their age, when I was 15, 16 years old, I was absolutely engrossed with two things, the intoxicating aromas of perfume and gasoline. And that was my bag. I wasn't, I wasn't down with, oh, I cannot wait to go to school and go take geometry today. I can't wait. No, no, not at all. But I, I have watched some of these young folks go to these school district meetings locally here. And, and they, tell these, they tell these educators, if I am not back in the classroom, I am being failed as a student. And to think about how the transition of, of how these young folks think about school, this is a, a direct impact of the pandemic, but it is not a negative one. The fact that they want to be there, that they want to have the social interactions, that they want to have the educational opportunities, that speaks volumes for where we might be able to go as a country moving forward from all of this, that they would seek out those opportunities and, and be inspired and encouraged by them. That's fantastic. For sure, because it, it kind of feels like prior to this, a lot of online school related things were kind of just like just putting it bluntly. They were kind of like half assed many times. That's right. Yeah. And mm, I I don't like that all too much because even so it could be be good or bad. Of course, like you can get left behind on certain things. But even so, a lot of times the consensus, at least something like K through 12 was if you wanted an easier out on there, like an easier option, you could take the online classes. But then, you know, at that point, you're kind of just cheating yourself on what you're learning, I feel like. That's right. Yeah, the, the more you are challenged, the, the more you have the opportunity to grow. It, it lifts your lid. It raises your ceiling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, then you see all these students as well, too. They're just like, well, I also want to get back to a classroom to you know, interact with people and see my friends and not just do everything on Zoom. You know, the, the, the most powerful thing to make someone appreciate something is to lose it. Yeah. And they lost the, excuse me, they lost the opportunity to be amongst their friends and participate in sports and do all of those, to go to proms and do all of those traditional things, even graduate in person. They lost all of those things. So suddenly things that were just taken for granted became tremendously important. And uh, maybe as this generation of you of young people go into college and the workforce and all of those things, they will see and perceive those things in a new special way. I certainly hope so. Have you, uh, like in your area, have you guys had, and yes, I'm saying this in 2021, but have you guys had uh, 2020 graduations? Not really. They, okay. they did a lot of them either very, very limited, like you can bring a parent and maybe sit them six feet apart in the bleachers, or in some cases, they just kind of didn't have them at all and said, here's your paper, go forth and prosper. But in 2021, that's improving. Okay, 
good because i know uh there's been there's been people i've known of people i've seen where i think this is a nice touch if it's certainly available and you don't like it's i mean you don't have to go to graduation so it's like people don't have to do this but a lot of places have been doing 2020 graduations as well as 2021 because it's just like hey you know the, the class of 2020 they were looking forward to graduation and they had it ripped away from them they sure did they sure did it was tough and you know it was it was it was territory that we have generationally never treaded into there was no roadmap there was no no handbook to go okay we have a pandemic worldwide right now here's how we're going to proceed forward with this and everything will just be hunky-dory there was no roadmap for this it had to be invented along the way it it, yeah it certainly had to on there i know there's been um i'm even thinking of just sending again like talking about students here but sending kids home to do zoom and such it was one of those things where a lot of teachers did not want to do that they didn't want to learn zoom so they had to spend that extra time doing it um of course you know the classes weren't going to be as good for many of those opportunities but even so you're sending kids home where there was there was a lot of assumptions made where one of the assumptions was every kid has access to a a piece of technology so it could be, you know, a smartphone, a tablet, an iPad, which technically tablet, technically it's, it's still not family, uh, or even, of course, a laptop or a full desktop or what have you. There was that assumption. And even if they didn't, it's like, okay, well, we'll get them a device. So you have internet at home, right? And there was a lot of places, especially like lower income areas that a lot of kids were kind of digitally forgotten in that aspect, because even so, like the school district didn't have the proper allocations to get internet connected at these places. Right. So Berkeley County, the, the school district in Berkeley County where I live, they were able to give Chromebooks to pretty much all the students. They just weren't able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, every one of them would have access to the internet to be able to use them. So it's a, a multifaceted challenge that requires the help of not just the public sector, public sector, but the private sector also to be able to collaborate and be able to give everybody the technologies that they need to get basic essential education in a situation like this Mm -hmm. oh and by the way atari we just hadn't talked about anything game related for a while i just figured i'd throw it out there oh okay no (laughs) it's all good (laughs) we could even go to the whole gaming thing i mean in in terms of that like what have you been what have you been enjoying the most with gaming about a week and a half ago, I went to one of the local retro game stores, and they had a Turbo Graphics. And for Ooh, all of the okay. years, just as a, a little backstory on this, for all of the years that I worked at Babbage's, which is now GameStop, I was a, a store manager for Babbage's. I started in high school, and and a funny thing on that, just divergent here for a moment. Um, a friend of mine in a science class said, "Hey, I work for a place called Babbage's. You want to get a, a Christmas job in the mall with me?" Sure. So I went and applied and got the job, and. Uh, he was gone after the Christmas break and they kept me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I ended up staying and, and making my way to, to being a store manager with Babbage's. But of all of the years that I worked there and, and sold turbo graphics consoles and the, the turbo duos and the, the CD add-ons and all those things, I never once owned one and always kind of wanted one. I don't know why I never wanted some for, for whatever reason, I ended up getting a CDI instead, and I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but I got a CDI <laughs> when there were Turbo Graphics sitting right there on the front end cap of the store. What, yeah. what, what pulled you to the CDI? Uh, laser disc games like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, which, you know, at okay. the time weren't that old. 
being able to play the MPEG movies, the, the, the media aspects of it were really cool. And then I realized, yeah, but all the games kind of suck. <laughs> so I eventually got rid of it. And instead of getting a Turbo Graphics, I got a 3DO. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So and, you, um, you went you went from one media machine to another media machine, I guess. Pretty much. <laughs> and the and the poor orange box sat up at the front of the store, beckoning to me, and I ignored its calls. Finally, about a week and a half ago, I'm at the local retro store. They have one on display. They're like, "Yeah, we'll. we'll it's actually for sale." And it had the doggone turbo booster on it, so I could hook it up to a modern TV. I have it here, and nice. I have one whole game for it. I have Bonk's Adventure. <laughs> That's all you need. Actually, the, the Bond games are really fun on that. They are fantastic. They really yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been my new thing. That and an Xbox Series S. Uh, it's Xbox Series S. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the Turbo Graphics was just one of those retro consoles I never got back in the day. And I'm happy to have now. To be fair, I don't think many people got it back in the day. Maybe no. you can verify that with like your employment at Bab just there. But like you don't really talk with many. Pe- it's like the two people I knew who grew up with it or I, I guess around it. It would. Yeah, unfortunately, it would exclude you there because you said you were missing out on it. There's like one person I know in real life, and the other person's Kanye West. Apparently, he grew up with it. Wow. I know yeah, that. he he was going to release an album called TurboGrafx 16, and then like that just I don't know never came out. Like a bunch of other album ideas he had, but still, it's not that many people had it for whatever reason. No, I mean most of the stuff I I would have sold through the door at Babbage's would have been a Super Nintendo or a Genesis, and then a Sega CD when that came out. That was the the big thing sega cd sega cd sega cd and it was another um media consumption device for the most part a, a few good sure. games notwithstanding <laughs> but that was the way those things worked back then the 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 corporate mindset the culture the corporate mindset was people want to see flashy media graphics the gameplay is secondary having something look really good was more important so full motion video had to permeate everything. Look at how great the full motion video is. And of course, it was just grainy stuff, but that was the technology at the time. Two-speed CD readers and you know consoles that weren't generally even S-video or any of those. I mean, it was just that was the, the way it was, and that was what companies made. So that's why things like the CDI and the 3DO and some of the Sega CD content and those things early on were all just based on full motion video. Yeah, and... I think, you know, the Sega CD is one of those systems I I was fascinated by. It. I thought it was awesome. And now you can even be fascinated by the price as well, too, because that thing has spiked up in price. Like I got I'll tell you this, man. I think in like 2010, I got a CDI, the Model 2 with a Sonic CD disc only from a thrift shop for 12 bucks. Oh it worked goodness. beautifully because, of wow. course, it's a damn like Sega CD. So it works fine. And then, like, recently, anybody's listening, just just look up the prices of Sega CD consoles on eBay. And, of course, they're kind of inflated right now because of COVID. But even before COVID, I mean, they really spiked up in price. Someone on the local Facebook marketplace here a few months ago had a CDX unit for sale. Now, I, I don't I have a, a Genesis that my friend Jesse over at Ivy, Ivory Tower Collections modded with S video and all kind of amazing stuff, audio amps and all kind of I have an amazing uh, first generation Sega Genesis that he helped put together for me. So I don't need a CDX, but I'm just fascinated with them. You know, sometimes things are just like if it's a shelf queen, it's cool because I just want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four hundred dollars. Let me just say that I kind of passed on that one. Mm hmm. 
$400. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they didn't cost that new. I know because I sold them at the Baptist. They were not $400 new. <laughs> oh my word. All that's, of it has just gone through the roof. And, and in a way, that's a, for people that have big collections of that stuff, I suppose that's a good thing. Like the stock market, you know, if you have a lot of stock and it goes up, that's great. If you have a big retro game collection now, that's great. But if you want to get in now, you know, the, the price of entry is higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, and even so, all those, all the weird devices, all the weird add-ons, like, I'm not sure, I haven't, pri- honestly, I haven't priced out, like, a Sega Genesis Model 3, but I know that one's a harder one to find. The CDX, unfortunately, I'm not all too surprised at the price point on that. I know the top loader Nintendo, that's been really expensive for a while as well, too, uh, which is disappointing, because, you know, those are... Those are some of the later models, so they have a lot of the nice little upgrades and such on there. Um, I know some systems, like for example, like the Super Nintendo Junior, they started taking out features. So you have to mod them back in, um, but still, I, I, I would like. I guess I would like something like a Sega CDX, just because I think it's cool, and also it's like, oh, you can literally have a Genesis and a Sega CD and a portable CD player because it was a portable CD player. Do you know how people are, and, and I, you know what, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm totally down with this. I get this. But do you know how people that collect things like action figures, sports collectibles, those kind of things, pops, put them in um, protective cases, like, look, don't, don't actually open or use the thing because it devalues it. It might be problematic and it might have wear to it and those kind of things. If I got a CDX, I would be terrified to actually use the optical drive in it. Because I'd be like, oh, no, no, if the optical drive breaks, well, now I've tore it up and it might be difficult to find a replacement. And so I would literally have like a CDX that I would just maybe occasionally plug a Genesis cartridge into because I'd be too terrified to use the drive and break it. Sure, sure. No, I, <laughs> I totally get that concern. Yeah. And it's even like it uh, it depends on these systems as well, too, where it's like I know um, it's always interesting, like ta- talking about like even the prices right now. And then I'm sure you can vividly remember times where like this stuff was worthless, where I'm sure you remember like times like even like 15 years ago where you couldn't give someone a Sega Genesis. Like people had no idea what the hell they were if you were trying to sell them or like even people who knew what they were is like, oh, I'm not going to pay $15 for that thing. No, I, I went out. 15, 20 years ago, I would, I could go to a garage sale, yard sale. You could go out and people were selling Super Nintendo's box for like $5. And they could barely sell them, right? They could barely get yeah. rid of them because nobody wanted that junky old thing. No, I want the GameCube. Yep. You know, or I want the PS2 or the Xbox, right? I don't, I don't want this old console. You could, <laughs> you could buy them by the crate full in, in, in droves. You could just get that stuff cheap. Mm-hmm. But you know what? In a, in a sense, in, in, I don't feel bad about that because that was the market value of things at the time. But now people have access to information, whether it, whether it be sometimes the overinflated price information on eBay or even just price charting or a local Facebook marketplace or even just connections with people. They, they know what things are worth, and that's a good thing. They should mm-hmm. be able to get the fair price and fair market value of whatever it is that they, they want to sell. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that. And even so, it's just, you know, it's depending on when you buy and sell something like if if you're looking for that, if you want that thing, if you're truly interested in it, whatever it might be. I know I'm even thinking of this like I ended up because PS1 games 
prices on them are really great right now in terms of like people selling them like you can get a good amount of money for selling your ps1 games is what i mean if you're buying oh that's going to be a little bit painful um but when it comes down to it like i remember when i amassed a lot of my own personal ps1 collection i got a lot of it when the ps2 and the xbox were hot and it was because that's actually when I got into gaming. I was like console gaming, at least. I grew up with a computer at first, and then I got a system later than other people, which now doesn't even seem too bad. I was like eight or nine at the time. Um, and I say that just because it felt late because I had friends who they were literal like babies or toddlers. And, you know, they had parents or older siblings that had consoles, so they have those in the house. Uh, but mind you, I was going back and revisiting a lot of the older stuff and I had to find like discover it for the first time. So it's like Sonic on the Genesis, I thought was really cool. Final Fantasy 7, 8 and 9, I thought those were awesome. And they were really affordable. They were really cheap because like in the midst of like 2003, 2004, a lot of stores were trying to get rid of their old junky PS1 games. Like, why would you play this old pixelated junk right here when you could be playing the latest and greatest Xbox title? So that's when I was amassing a lot of my collection. And even now, um, I've slowed down collecting at least, but like now what I see is PS3, 360, you can get a lot of really good stuff for pretty cheap right now and even some stuff is starting to creep up in value a bit but it's also starting to go in terms of like the early xbox one and ps4 related things so if you're just jumping in with an xbox one or ps4 or even a xbox series or a playstation 5 you can get a lot of those you could do what i did when i was a kid and you know get a lot of those titles that you missed and play them for the first time for really cheap you know i've, I've seen a lot of those things floating around for a dollar a game or something on like places like Facebook marketplace, a dollar a game. My goodness. These are, these are HD 1080p good quality stuff. A dollar mm-hmm. a game. My goodness. You know, I, <laughs> I, I have sold and, and bought copies of super Mario world throughout the years and I have to have it again. So I went up to the local retro game store now, I have picked up copies of Super Mario World for $5, $3, you know, just dirt cheap stuff. To get a copy of it now was $29. Hmm. So being able to get in and get some of these incredible games right now, they're going to go up. Because generations generations have nostalgia for the things that they grew up with. You know, I, I have nostalgia for things like records, for 80s game consoles, 80s nostalgia you know, people are going to have nostalgia for the things that they they grew up with at some point. And when they do, they're going to want to say, well, hey, you know, I wanted to get some 360 games like I used to have. Or I want to get Xbox One games or PS3 games or DS games or whatever happened to be in that particular generation. So grabbing mm-hmm. them now, although I, I don't look at gaming as an investment as much as an, a, a matter of enjoyment, they are going to be more expensive down the road than they are now. Yeah, yeah. We're not giving investment or financial advice on here, mind you. But yeah, a lot of this stuff will eventually go up, which is nice. Of course, depending on how much you paid for it as well, too. So when like I'd say pretty recently, like the the collections I was able to really like pad out and like flesh out a bit more were like PS3 for sure, but also 360 and I'd say PS2 original Xbox, because like the last few years when I've gone to thrift stores, that's mostly what's available. And that's yep. that's awesome because that's that's the old stuff now that a lot of people are getting rid of. But like if it's not happening now, like soon ish, like in the next two years, people are going to be wanting to revisit some of that stuff. One of the the principles of gaming that has stood the test of time 
has been has been that games should be easy to learn and difficult to master. And it, it doesn't matter whether it goes back to the days of things barely having any graphics at all, up to the most contemporary Xbox series and PlayStation 5 games. If they look great and play terrible, people are not going to like them. If they look not so great, but the gameplay is just engrossing, they're going to they're going to be in demand. In fact, if you think about how Nintendo has approached this over the years, their approach has never been to have the latest, greatest cutting edge technology, especially not now with the teraflops of graphics power and things that are out there. (laughs) That's not been their thing. Their thing has always been, let's just make engrossing gameplay. And they have intellectual properties, the Mario's and Yoshi games and Smash games and all of these things, Zelda and all these things throughout the years that are still bringing in people, first time gamers coming into these things decades later because the gameplay experience is so rewarding. Yeah. And don't you just love that? Like pretty much everybody knows who Mario is or like Sonic. Yeah, I guess as well too, because he's, he's thankfully gotten back there in the last few years, not to the same extent as Mario, but like he's, he's gotten some favorable titles, but even especially Pikachu as well too. I know that's technically the Pokemon company, but these are just really timeless characters that people know. I'm going to make it a new personal mission in my life to make sure that everyone on planet Earth knows who Mr. Mario is. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'd say, no, you don't need to do that. I, <laughs> I, I don't need all that. Honestly, I don't. I really don't crave the attention. I kind of just try to do my own thing. It's all good. But I, I appreciate the thought, I guess I could say, Blaine. It's all good. <laughs> you know, as, as, as optimistic a person I am, as outgoing a person I am, I do tend to have a very introverted kind of nature. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not being introverted doesn't mean that you have diminished social skills or don't want to talk to people or any of those kind of things. It, it can oftentimes just mean that you may have a smaller circle of friends, but those circles, those people in your circle of friends are just very, very close people. And, and that those relationships are no less rewarding than people that have large groups of people that they connect with on a regular basis. Sure. That's a good way of looking at it. I I guess for me, I always looked at it with the whole battery analogy where it's like, you know, extroverted people, they're going to recharge their battery with being around a ton of people. And then even like I, I classify myself as introverted. I have to recharge my battery by being by myself or really just being with uh, someone I care a lot about, which is probably my favorite person. It's not even a person. It's my dog. Like oh. I could just my, my dog will do something or look a certain way every single day that can make me laugh. I have three of them. We have we have two boxers, and I have oh. a, a, a yeah. They're wonderful dogs, absolutely wonderful <laughs> dogs. And I have a a, a Dotson. Oh, that's adorable. That's a uh, we don't deserve dogs, man. They're too good. Yeah, they they're all very very sweet dogs. Um, all girls, uh, all just absolutely just licky in the face, wonderful kind of dogs. It's fantastic. <laughs> the uh, I'm thinking Dotsons. Those are the really small ones, right? That's right. Uh, do. I guess does she act? Does she think that she's as big as the other dogs, or vice versa? Do the other dogs ever think that they are small dogs? That's it. They think that they are small dogs, and that if they come lay down in your lap, that's like not really an inconvenience. What's the big deal? <laughs> when they've absolutely completely invaded your personal space. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that because like w- one of my favorite like dog things I've ever seen is uh, one of my uh, best friends, uh, Tanner Tan Squid, who I've had on here before. Uh, I went to his, he was an online friend I had, and uh, I ended up meeting him offline several years ago, but I went to his family's place and they had two dogs at the time. They had a big, giant, um, 
like chocolate lab that was it and then they had a small dash or like a small dotson and it's funny because like they had grown up with each other like all their lives and the small dog was you know just going underneath tables and all that just fine but at one point they were both lying underneath a table and small dog ends up just you know getting up and walks out without an issue and the big dog murphy he's also he's dumb is the problem so he would stand up and then his back would crash into the table and he'd get forced down and he had to do that like four times until he realized that he's not he he is taller than the table he can't just stand up and walk out there was a disney movie that i think is from maybe six, 1966 1967 or so and it's called the ugly dotson and it's about a woman that raises dotsons for show dogs and her husband hates the little dogs and he wants a big dog so he brings home a great dane puppy and tricks her into thinking for a very short time that this dog is also a dotson <laughs> puppy and of course the dog grows up and as the old saying goes, hilarity ensues. But it's a great movie. It's called The Ugly Dotson. I haven't heard of that. I need to see it at one point. It's one of those Dean Jones, Suzanne Plachette movies that were a, a big thing in Disney through the 60s and 70s, kind of going up into the Herbie the Lug Bug and those kind of movies. Sure, sure. I have seen the Herbie movies. I like those. Yeah, they're great. Yes. Yeah. No, that's awesome, though. <laughs> well, what are, what are you playing right now? Oh, let's see. I guess we're getting uh, a little bit early on this here. Um, you know, let me even pull out my Switch real quick. Um, typically, I cover this near the end, but it's all good. Uh, no, we got... Uh, have you played any visual novels? Not lately. Okay. Um, I guess like ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I'm not sure what you've played, um, but like I got into visual novels like a few years ago, maybe like three years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite series is the Spirit Hunter series, which is just disturbing and gritty and really great and terrifying at the same time. So I've been replaying the second entry in there called NG. Um, I finished Ring Fit Adventure, which is without a doubt the hardest game I've ever played because mm. <laughs> it's not like Dark Souls or anything, mind you, but it's, it, it's physically hard. Like it's painful to play because it's an exercise game, but it's it was totally worth it um hades i've been playing which that i don't really play um roguelikes but that's been really fun and then maybe this is maybe my own fault i should have researched it a little bit more i've never played the original pokemon snap never really looked into it but i was like okay let me go ahead and get new pokemon snap and it's cute mind you but i can only play a few minutes at a time because it's like oh all you do is take photos of pokemon mm-hmm there's there's nothing else to it okay all right like this is this is it all right so i can only play a little bit at a time but it's it's good for what it is so so you're into the the graphic novel type things in in games do you have like a favorite horror movie (sighs) probably off the top of my head i'd say the halloween series they are fantastic they're (sighs) I was, you know, I, I've seen the Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, and, and I was kind of okay with them. There's a remake of Evil Dead, and I think it came out around 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. It went completely in a different direction from the kind of comic, um, low production value kind of movies from the original Evil Deads into a very, very dark place for the Evil Dead <laughs> movies. And it is just a fantastic movie. Um, I haven't seen it, but Evil Dead is, uh, it's, it's the guy who has the boomstick for the arm, right? 
uh, Chainsaw, Army of Darkness. Okay. That's right. Okay, okay, there we go. I, I might get some Ash. hate here. Where it's There we go. I might get some hate here. I've played one or two of the games. I haven't seen the films, but I have seen the uh, the Evil Dead musical. Really? Yes, it is absolutely hilarious. And if it ever comes to a town near you or you're in a town where they're playing it, I definitely recommend going. It's absolutely hilarious. Oh, I will, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's even like a splash zone as well, too. So if you're in like the first like three or four rows, you just get blood sprayed all over you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like it a was Gallagher a... concert with a horror theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was at one point we were just we were laughing because we we're like, oh, OK, this guy's really playing it up because there's like one guy where I don't want to spoil it all too much, but he's like dying and he's like still talking, complaining and dying. And like every time he dies, he just sprays out blood. <laughs> and at one point, it's so obvious that he was only going after like one person because he's like spraying the front row. But then he ended up just constantly spraying one lady in the front row. <laughs> and for his lines i mean this is part of the character but he had to spray like blood out of his arm like five or six times wow yeah i would definitely go to that <laughs> yeah and it's like oh well you can't you can't be warned or anything well you you do get warned it's like well this is this is your own fault for sitting in the splash zone man <laughs> but yeah what have uh what have you been playing flip it on you well you know i, I got the turbo graphics good uh my son and i absolutely love mlb the show and the, the 21 edition's mm. out, and we have the Jackie Robinson edition, and it's just a, a, a wonderful game. And we have played some some really great games together. And I do the pitching, he does the hitting. <laughs> and right. it well, you know, that way we each have a task. We have sure. each have a thing. Yeah. Sure. And it has been so much fun. And it's been I mean, we're we're bonded together. We have a wonderful relationship as it is. But it's also been like a a, a dad and son kind of thing we do together too. And so that's a, you know, we talk about the history of gaming. The, the history is also today. And so it's, you know, here's, here's me at 49 and him at 15, but we're, we're connected in this, this love of gaming that we have. And so oh, yeah. MLB The Show 21 has, MLB The Show 20 was a big thing for us last year, 21 now. Gotcha. Is that a kind of a yearly thing that you guys play? So it um, absolutely is. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah. When did you all start with that? About four years ago. Somewhere okay. around the, the MLB 17 or so, uh, PS4. And then when the PS5 one came out, you know, it's a it's a dual delivery game. So we have it on PS4 Pro in one room, and then he has it on PS5 in his room. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, so full disclosure, I really don't play sports games, but like I've seen a bit of MLB The Show. It looks respectable. It looks cool. Um I, I actually, what are your thoughts with it uh, going on Xbox? Because I know that was such a big Sony thing. And I was surprised to see that not only it went on Xbox, but it's on Game Pass now. I was stunned. I, I have Game Pass. And I, I went and looked on it and went, oh, wait a minute, MLB The Show 21? This is a this is a PlayStation property. This is, this is not an Xbox thing. And here it is. And not only is it theirs, download free. Wait a minute, what? I just dumped 85 bucks into the Jackie Robinson edition <laughs> for the PlayStation. And it's sitting here straight up free on Xbox, but it's really cool because I, I tend to be, a, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their thing and I tend to be a little more Xbox than PlayStation. And I have absolutely enjoyed having that game on Xbox. That's awesome. As long as people are playing, that's the important thing. That's it. See, I don't, I don't take a critical eye toward, you know, I like Nintendo better. I like Sony better. I like Microsoft better. If you're in it and you're playing and you're playing your way and having a good time, that's all that matters. It's a plus one for the the mutual hobby that we all love and share. Sure. <laughs> uh, 
That's awesome. Yeah, I know there's uh has there been anything else you've been on? I know there was uh we talked about well, not playing Super Mario World. I know you just you were saying you were talking about repurchasing. Actually, how many times have you gone and had to repurchase that game now? Probably since the since owning it in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I had it in the nineties. I don't know, three or four times probably. Okay. That's not terrible. I was thinking it was gonna be like ten times and I was just oh. like, no, just buy it once and keep it. Well, you know what? The the older I've gotten, the more I have learned to appreciate having things and holding on to things. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm not a materialistic kind of person so much, but I have just learned to respect when you get something to appreciate having it. Because we have all found throughout the, the course of the last year that the things that we think are so permanent and they're fixtures and they're always going to be there tomorrow and we never have to worry those things are not always the case Mm -hmm. and so you know that that kind of changed my level of gratitude about everything as i imagine it did a lot of people oh sure i know one thing even in terms of games in terms of media and such i'm i'm sure it was one of those things when when all this happened about a year ago now you know, we have to stay at home. We have to find ways to be entertained. Were you one of those people you just had no problem staying entertained? Because you're just like, oh, I've got an offline cache of movies, music, TV shows, hobbies, entertainment, video games. Like, I've prepared for this for years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I'm sure if I were to take account of it, I've probably got close to a thousand games here. Awesome. And, 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 and well, you know, I think that what, there's a, there was a Guinness World Record for this recently, and it was somewhere around 30,000 games or something. I, I don't remember exactly how many, but it, it made it onto the tube as well. I, I think of myself, how on earth would I ever play a thousand games? And what do I need a thousand games for? Sometimes mm-hmm. I think the, the ownership is part of it, but I think the chase is maybe even the more fun part of it. Going it out is. And, yes. Yeah, going out and, and, you know, looking every day and go, what's on Marketplace? What's on Craigslist? What's at the local retro stores? What's out there? What's on eBay? What am I looking for today? Going out on that chase to go find, you know, I call it hunting the next bird. You know, you're always out looking for that next thing, whether, you know, in golf, they call it hunting your bird because they, they call it, you know, going for your birdie and, you know, hunters. And anyway, sure. yeah, I'm, I'm hunting my bird. I'm going out looking for the next thing right now. Go see what it is. And that the chase is maybe more fun than having the actual game itself. Because so many of these games, and you know, we think about the difference in preservation and piracy. You can go onto places like Internet Archive, and they they have let's just say they have a ton of stuff. <laughs> and just yes, leave, I could just yeah. There, there's a giant archive available. There's a giant archive on the internet. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Getting access to things is not difficult. So mm-hmm. it's just in the same way that having these these physical games is is a, a joy because you can go get them because it, and and you know what it's not always easy there does not the immediacy of that having those things is kind of to me like the same thing as as having vinyl records and you know vinyl has gone in and out over the years i think it kind of is at a resurgence because I, I see the record stores and things around my local area and even game stores selling records now vinyl's mm-hmm. kind of made a thing back and i have a vinyl collection there is not one single vinyl record that has a better audio performance to it not one, than a contemporary, high-quality, lossless, digital copy of a song. I mean, it's been scientifically proven. In fact, there's, there's great videos on YouTube where they've, they've done these, these waveform analytics of this stuff to just say, look, it doesn't matter if, you, if you're playing a mechanical needle on a, on a, 
a final piece of, of record. It's just not going to be the same. There's a, but there is a, a comfort to owning physical media, whether it be movies, music, or games, or whatever it is that people cannot take away from you. And it, there was a, a video from Modern Vintage Gamer today, for example. And in this video, he talked about a deep-seated problem with Xbox and Microsoft and their digital right management stuff, where you can have physical copies of games that are supposed to be backwards compatible, but if the console does not get on the internet and connect to the mothership, they're not going to work. Yep. And, and that is why physical media has always appealed to me, even in the area, even in the era of unlimited access going on to Apple music and having 60 million songs at your fingertips anytime. But as soon as you stop paying that subscription fee, your library is gone. And so yeah. I think that's why physical media continues to have such a huge collector base for it. And why the prices of it continue to go up and up is now that we've come to the realization about things like C bomb with the playstations and the digital rights management issues and all of these things, we've come to realize that the, these things can be taken away from us very quickly. Even yeah. even in some of the terms of use for online gaming, even when you purchase those things digitally, if the company feels like that you have violated their terms of service, they can shut off your access to the content you already bought. And that's mm -hmm. that's frightening. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if you've um, if you followed it in this instance here, but have you seen. Did you hear about the guy who he got his, which honestly, I'd be interested to see how this got terminated, but did you hear about the guy who got his, I believe, Apple account terminated and he ended up losing like twenty or $30,000 worth of, you know, just apps that he purchased, uh, music, TV shows, movies and all that. Um, so he took Apple to court and he ended up winning. Did you hear about that? I didn't, but I get it. Because although, you know, I, I subscribe to Apple Music, and so the majority of my music library right now is just based on subscription stuff. My movies are not. I have had, sure. I, I bought my first movie in the original iTunes all the way back in 2005. I have a 16-year collection of movies inside what's called now Apple TV or Apple TV+. Plus. Mm -hmm. If something happened to that and I couldn't access that anymore, I, I've got hundreds of movies that I've bought over a 16-year period. That unless I thought ahead of time preemptively to download them and store them somewhere, they're gone. Yeah. And the thing with this, with this court case specifically, even with Apple, is that it was really, it was questioning the term buying because when you go like, for example, like if, if you go out to a store and you buy a Blu-ray, you have that physical copy of it. So even if like, let's say your Blu-ray player stops working, you can fire it up on another Blu-ray drive. If you get banned from that store, even as a direct example, you get banned from that store, you can't ever purchase from there. You can't ever do anything again. You still have that Blu-ray disc. That's all good. Even if it goes missing somewhere in your house, two years later, you find it under your couch cushion. It's all good. You're, you're good at that point. Uh, but when it comes down to it, it was very much, is Apple actually selling you movies or are you paying for a very expensive rental? Um, and that's kind of what the case came down to, which like, even so, I'm, I'm happy that I've seen this in the last few years in terms of preservation, in terms of digital rights as well. People seem to be a lot more cognizant of it um, because I've kind of just, I guess I've kind of just built it into how I've acted where it's like in terms of, 
with a lot of music, I guess a lot of music I do listen to, admittedly, it's like the the stuff I really like, I purchase physically um, just to keep offline. But most of it, I can listen through subscription services or even a lot of music I do listen to from artists is already put out for free by them. So that's not as much of an issue there. Uh, but when it comes to games, I'm always very much a physical person. And even I'll pay like a premium at times to get that physical material. And I was even thinking back on this. I think it came down to even like during the days of the Xbox 360, I had seen people and it wasn't just like for modding. It was even just people like trolling and doing other stuff. Um, but I had just seen people get banned from Xbox Live for whatever reason. They couldn't sign in until December 31st, 19, like no, 9,999. So oh. eventually they'll get unbanned in thousands and thousands of years when they're dead, of course. But when it comes down to it, it's like, you know, if they didn't have the stuff backed up properly, they couldn't like they let's say their hard drive ends up breaking and then their Xbox ends up dying, which, of course, that happened many times with 360. They couldn't ever access that account and get all that information again. So if they spent two dollars or two thousand dollars on digital content, it was just gone. So because of like just seeing situations like that, I was like, I'll buy like downloadable content because that's dlc at times i'm going to buy xbox live arcade games because most time you can't get them on disc but like any retail game i'm going to purchase on a disc because if i'm playing call of duty a bunch and i get banned on that account and i lose access to that account i'm going to lose my 60 dollars game and even more but at that point if i just have the disc on hand that's fine i'll sign into another account on another system and pop the disc in and i'm good to go at that point that's right it's it's changed so much where games used to be a when they were a, well switch, switch notwithstanding when they were cartridge form you put them in you hit the power button the game started immediately now it's a process of most of the games aren't even activated unless they can connect to the mothership and and start downloading downloadable content licenses authorizations in, in many cases the disc is nothing more than the license to download the game. But mm-hmm. for example, with Xbox Series S and Series X, a lot of these this, these legacy games from 360 and Xbox One, when you throw it in there, it's not concerned about what's on the disc, only that the disc exists. The PlayStation 5 version of the digital download for MLB The Show 21, exactly the same thing. The sole purpose of having that PlayStation 4 disc in that console is just to connect to the mothership and say, yeah, you're, you're authorized to download the PS5 optimized version of the game. That's it. So it, it's all it's all changed. The landscape of it has all changed so much, and it doesn't favor the consumer. It it, it favors the company. Mm-hmm. And and even with that, you know, I'll even kind of put put something in that to an extent. I'm okay with that, like what you described, as long as there's playable content on the disc. Like what you're saying with like MLB the Show. If you pop in your PS5 and you have to download the entire PS5 version. That's fine as long as there is a physical PS4 version on that PS4 disc. So if I put it in my PS4, it's going to pull it off the disc. That's okay. What I don't like is, especially in times, man, when we're dealing with Blu-rays, so you have at minimum 25 gigabytes before formatting, mind you, available at your fingertips. Uh, probably the worst offense I've seen of this, which I'm happy that people do know of it, but Super Lucky's Tale on the Xbox One, when that came out, I love foxes. It looked like a cute game. It was okay, honestly. But like I went out, I bought the game. One of my friends got a Xbox One X. So I went to his place. I popped it in. 
the actual contents of the game on that physical desk are, I don't remember the exact number, so I'm going to be a little generous here, but there's less than 100 megabytes worth of data on that disk. When you pop that disk physically into your system, it will pull like that little bit, which is just kind of, you know, the original licensing information and such, and then it will pull the first update, but it also has to pull the other 99% of the base game itself. So the disk is practically worthless if you don't have it. It is completely worthless if you don't have an internet connection at that point. And that's one of the games that they touted on their website as being one of the 4K HDR compatible games. So yep. if you have 100 megabytes of content on a disk, they, they couldn't even hardly establish the, the color palettes and things like that. And that kind of space, it's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. And I just I, I hate examples like that. But that's that's where we're at, unfortunately, many times. Well, at least there's people out there that are grabbing the physical copies of these things and keeping them in. In most of the cases, they'll be able to use these things in the years to come. And that's just fantastic. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> I I did want to back up on this a bit because I'm, I'm really happy that you did bring up uh, your time at Babbage's there. Um, but since you, I guess, from what year to what year did you work there? 89 to 95. I started in the Christmas okay. season of 1989. And then worked there through 1995. Okay. Uh, was that, did you get to see the Sega Saturn launch then? I didn't. It launched just a little bit after I had left there. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And it was that stealth launch as well too, where they're like, hey, we're releasing it now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you you worked there for a while then, like yeah, six six years if I'm thinking right there. But no, I, I wanted to bring this up because um, I'd worked at a game store uh, for about, two and a half two two and a half years something like that um so i know how it goes with you know retail and being at the game store and such but do you have any crazy stories or like any story that you could think of that sticks out from your time working at babbage's you know i think the the thing i well i can tell you of all of the jobs i've had i think of that particular company and that particular time with the most fondness i really do because the the way the company was structured was everything was about the satisfaction of the customer and not in some weird, like the customer's always right, doggone it, the employee's always wrong kind of thing. It was just about, look, if you buy a game and you take it home and it is just not to your liking, bring it back. We just want you to be satisfied. 99 or more percent of the people that, that bought under that agreement were totally satisfied. They never took advantage of the policy. You know, when one of those things where they take it home and beat it in two days and come back and go, yeah, this game really sucked. That wasn't a thing. <laughs> I mean, it was very, very rarely was that ever a thing. Or in the case where games were not on CD when they were on discs and things like that, that you would just take it home and, and burn copies of it onto other discs and take it back. I mean, yeah, it happened, but not that often. And that culture, people came and visited because of the culture and the connection that they had with the people that worked there and vice versa. It was it, not in like, you know, I want to hang out and sit on your couch and play all your games kind of thing, but they actually really just had great interpersonal relationships between people that work for Babbage's and customers that shop there and the, the, the talks that they had about games and all those kind of things. And those were really just incredible times. And when I, and not to knock on GameStop, but when I go to GameStop now, the culture is just different. I'm not saying it's better or it's worse, but it is different. 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the idea that it, it tends to be, well, first of all, the stores tend to be more focused around merchandise and, and collectibles and things of the sort and games, you know, are still a big part of things, obviously, because it's a GameStop, but they've kind of changed a shift in what they sell over the course of the years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it certainly to me feels like it, it's more of a retail experience and less of a of an interpersonal or cultural one. And so I think that maybe, and of course, I'm sure if you went and bought a a brand new game for 70 bucks at GameStop today and cracked the wrapper at home and and took it back and said, this sucks, they're going to tell you, well, you can trade it in. You know, I mean, it's just the the change in the times. So when I, when I think back about Babbage's, I think maybe one of the, what, what was the craziest thing about it? How flexible it was, how absolutely flexible it was about making sure people were satisfied. And, and that, that time is long since gone. And sure. you, would, you wouldn't get that at Best Buy, at Walmart, or at um, GameStop, or anywhere else. You wouldn't get that kind of um, preferential treatment towards your ultimate satisfaction. And those things just made for really, really fun times in gaming to me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. I It feels like even with, uh, especially even GameStop now, I mean, I've seen people be absolutely critical of them and such, and, you know, for good reason, but the stores have just always kind of felt, uh, with every time they end up rebranding and reiterating, because I know there's been, at least in my lifetime, I've seen, I haven't seen Babbage's personally, but I've seen uh, Software Etc., I've seen EB Games, I've seen Electronics Boutique, of course, now GameStop, where that's kind of covering everything, but Every time they end up doing that rebranding, and as time goes on, it just seems like they become more and more soulless as a store. It gets a little more sterile, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And, even and you see even people... if they put all the the funny meme crazy t shirts in there, well, they they a lot of times I don't think they sell very well because like there's new t shirts that come in, and then there's a bunch of other t shirts that are on the clearance rack. <laughs> yeah, they they do a few weeks or something maybe a month or something on the main rack and then they get rotated right down to get them out and get the next one in kind of thing yeah you know one of the things that has um i think changed in the way games are are displayed at certain stores gamestop certainly being one of them is a lot of them are rows and rows and rows full of spine four games in other words the Mm -hmm. the, at it was a big thing make as many products as you can face forward and only try to bookend a few things on and, and spine out on the on the very edges if you have to, and and it, when you go through when you go to to look through a sea of spines as I like to call them, and, and you're looking and going all of these, and then they put them in their own custom you know GameStop uh, inserts in the in the disc clamshells and things like that, and you go my goodness they all look exactly the same as you're looking through them in a row full of things, and they've kind of lost the the identity of walking in and going wow okay there's the latest greatest there those things aren't they're not so clear <laughs> and yeah. and you know and and i've got a few years and a few miles on me so it's not always the easiest thing to just go sit and look through seas full of spines of games and it makes sense to me that the, those things should be facing out whenever you can when you go to a bookstore the the thing that it's, all books are judged by their cover and if, if they're not judged by their spine, they're judged by their cover. When you go Even to the magazine, we're told not racks. to judge a book by its cover, but yeah, you're right on that. Yeah, books are judged by their covers. That's why they put so much time. You know, when you open the book up, all the pages are just black print on white pages, but the covers are always given tremendous amounts of thought. Albums judged by their cover. 
video games are judged by their cover as well. But if you can't even see it, then you don't even know to look for it. And that's just one of those things that has changed culturally over time as well, is the, the thinking about that significance. When you think about YouTube videos, you've been putting them out for, what, a decade now? I mean, I've, I've only got... The... Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's been longer, <laughs> technically. But yeah, 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 we're getting there. <laughs> but you see, you you know the value as much as I do of, of, of the quality of a thumbnail. Oh, Literally, sure. <laughs> one second. You get if, if somebody's scrolling with a phone and they're flicking those things up and down and scrolling through for something to watch, you've got one second for your thumbnail to stop that thumb from scrolling. And, and if that's the case, just in something like that, what about when something's $70 sitting on a shelf and a company's future depends on being able to sell it? And and its most valuable asset to attract attention is turned to the side. Yeah. What a change in the way things are done. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you get this either, but like, for me, when I just see way, way, way too many games, it's kind of overwhelming to the point where I'm like, when I don't really feel like looking at anything, I, I kind of got a sensory overload. Analysis paralysis. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I see rows and rows full of those those spines, that sea of spines, and I just go, well, never mind. I'll go see what's in the glass case or something, you know, because they'll have that <laughs> stuff faced out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking like a physical example is like there was once when this was years ago, but uh, a couple of my friends had this adorable cat. Her name's Nora. She's been on the channel before, but we were having a party at their place. And as it was starting, we were having people come in and this cat kind of like comes in because it's like, OK, two people in the apartment. Fine. Four people. OK, but it's like, oh, wait, there's like seven, eight people. And Nora just kind of comes out of the corner and people start screaming. They're like, Nora. Nora and they're like screaming and making noise and you could just see this cat like slink over and then stop and then kind of recede in itself and just run away and it's like that is a physical example of that's how I feel sometimes and I'm just like I'm not really sure what I'm looking for I kind of just want to look a bit and then I go and there's just like game mountain but it's all spines there and I'm like I I'm just gonna slink into myself and run away have you ever I don't know if you subscribe to um you know, Google Play or any, any of the music servers, Apple or uh, Amazon. Yeah, I do. I, I've got Amazon and Apple. Have you ever had those moments where you have 60 million plus songs at your disposal and you go to tell the voice assistant what you want to listen to and you're like, I don't even know what to pick. <laughs> That's you know, what it feels like. Thankfully, that doesn't happen all too much. Um, music is, even though I'm not a musician, I don't understand music that much. It's one of the most important things to me intrinsically. And like, I need it every single day. Um, my issue I run into is when I tell my assistant exactly what it's what I want. And it books a com and it keeps picking a completely wrong thing. And I will like scream at my assistant like, no, that's not what I want to listen to right now. <laughs> We thought it would be when we, especially when the movies and things started really kind of suggesting the future of all of this, we thought that having voice assistants and computers in the house all the time that were always available to serve you and all those things were going to be wonderful. Then you get the voice assistants and you talk to them and they don't do what you want. You know, I, I don't, I don't really have much of a potty mouth, but I have actually been known to swear occasionally at my Amazon Echo devices. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you're swearing at a robot. <laughs> but you know what? It, 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 it seems all like a great idea until those things in practice don't necessarily work the way we want them to. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, Honestly, I blame South Park for this because this is where it's from. The most fun thing that I've done with, because I, I don't really use the Amazon devices all that much, but the most fun thing I've done is just add really stupid stuff to your shopping list. That's a good, you know, that's a good one. And, and you know, one of my favorites, 
I, I kid you not, it's, it costs $2 to get it, but it's worth every minute, is um, the Amazon Echo devices have a Samuel L. Jackson voice that you can put on them. And, <laughs> and I kid you not, it is absolutely one of the um, most amusing things you can do all day to hear your Amazon Echo talk to you with Samuel L. Jackson's voice and say his famous profanity-laced catchphrase. That's amazing. It will make that your does day. Sound, that does sound worth the $2. I still haven't played um, Skyrim on Alexa yet, but I need to. I didn't even know you could play Skyrim on Alexa. No. Yes, oh, you know what? I, I, think I, I just about said it. I have one sitting right next to me, and I almost said the wake word. Oh. <laughs> ah, I caught myself. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's one of those things I, it was released as an April fool's day joke, but it is actually, and it's a skill. I believe that's called, it's a skill that Alexa can learn, but there is Skyrim for Alexa. Cool. See, now I've got something to do when we're done. I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to grab a sandwich and go right over there and go tell it to play Skyrim. Give it a shot. I feel like it's kind of like, um, what's, I think it's called Zork, the text adventure. Yeah. To me, I haven't played this. Like I've played Zork, but not Skyrim on there. I th- it seems like it's Zork, but all, all like using using your voice and using your words as opposed to typing everything out. Oh, I would love that. You know, I remember it's funny you bring up Zork. I remember when when PC games came in these they call them big box games now. They came yep. in these glorious looking packages, absolutely beautiful things. And there's mm-hmm. and I've seen and I've been to the National Video Game Museum three times, and I only remember seeing this particular box in a retail store in my area once back in the '80s. And it will elude me, and somebody's going to listen to the podcast and go, "You dummy, it's this game. You should know that." And they're going to be right. <laughs> but there's a game out there, and it has um, in the packaging a completely disembodied white face on the box, and I think the eyes are even like cut out on it. And it was absolutely, it looks kind of like, like a mannequin face or something, but it was one of those things that you could not possibly walk and look, talking about the books by the covers, you could not possibly walk into a game store, walk by the PC games and not see this box and go, I got to look at that. See, those were those, those times when those boxes were art themselves. Now everything's kind of sterile looking and same, but gosh, they were beautiful back then. You know, we don't even get a we don't even get anything like a manual in our games now. No, no, not at all. Fortunately, they do a pretty good job of kind of prompting gamers when they first throw the game in. Okay, this button does this, or you can reference it on the game and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean that was a thing to get a book with a game or a comic book with a game or something. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Or, or what about the uh, not so much the first ones, but Grand Theft uh, the three D games when uh, Grand Theft Auto three and beyond came about, where they would turn the manual into like a tourist guidebook or a newspaper or a magazine. Like those were always really fun to flip through. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it really just added to the. Yeah, I mean, people go and spend extra money today to get collectible versions of movies that might just have some uh, collectible thing thrown in it, a, a, a book or, oh gosh, I, you know what? One of my favorites, and I've held it for all these years, even though it's just a DVD, is the movie Pulp Fiction. It, the mm-hmm. DVD version of Pulp Fiction came with a menu from Jackrabbit Slims. And so anybody <laughs> that's seen Pulp, Pulp Fiction knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's the menu for Jack Rabbit Slim in the DVD case. Those kind that's of things awesome. are just freaking cool. And they are just not a part of contemporary gaming and marketing anymore. Yeah. 
I think even uh not directly with this, but I, I'm thinking of just even physical stuff on here. Have you uh, ever seen the film Dogma? I sure have. The one with um, Alanis Morissette and she plays God. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So it proves Alanis Morissette is God. <laughs> I It's one of my favorite films. Absolutely love it. But did you know that is not on any streaming services? Really? Yeah, um, it's one of those things a lot of people don't realize it until they think about it or even they they try and look. And there is no legal streaming service that you can watch this movie on. And the unfortunate thing is, because like it came out in theaters, of course, uh, it showed on TV. That's actually how I watched it. Like Even just for the way I discovered it, I remember it was on Comedy Central. And I was watching and I was like, oh, this has Jane Silent Bob. Oh, it has Ben Affleck. Oh, it has Matt Damon. It has what the hell is this cast? And then it was really interesting. And I was waiting for them to reveal what the film name was. Because, you know, sometimes between commercials and all, they did. Sometimes they didn't. Right. And they wouldn't for the love of God. So I had to like find, and this was still when they were available. So I think it was maybe like 2005. I had to like find a blank VHS tape and I just popped it into the VCR and hit record just for the hope of like, okay, even if I'm like halfway through this movie, I need to record as much as I can. So like as soon as they say the movie title, I'll be able to find out what it is. And that's when I did find out it was Dogma. I eventually bought the DVD. I eventually, I like the collector's edition of it too. And then I eventually bought the Blu-ray. So like it's been out there for years. But from what I know, it's not even, I don't even think it's a holding company. I think it is Harvey Weinstein, like the man himself. He legally owns the rights to the film. And it's one of those unfortunate things where, you know, just because of, you know, he was he was rightfully outed for all the awful stuff he did. Yeah. But what I mean by it being an unfortunate thing is that Nobody wants to work with Harvey Weinstein. Nobody wants to touch him. So even figuratively or literally on that. So even Kevin Smith, he's kind of been like, yeah, uh, Dogma, like Harvey owns it. I can't really do anything with it. And he's not trying to get close to Harvey anytime soon after all that. So it's like, yeah, you kind of have to track down a used inflated copy of it or you have to find it through other means. Good grief. You know, I, I, and I love his stuff. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith, love his stuff. I, all the way back to Clerks. Right? The, the, I remember seeing Clerks when it was new, and I'm thinking, this this is going to be like a, a turd. It's black and white. It's not going to be interesting at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. And it's a gem, an absolute <laughs> gem. And they brought in just, just hilarious people like like uh, Jay and Silent Bob, of course, who's, who is Kevin Smith. And oh, yep. just a, and, and going on through Mallrats and dogma and uh i think chasing amy is one of his yes uh, oh gosh just some wonderful wonderful films and and brilliant conversation and it's it's the it's the script writing and conversation about a movie like clerks or even pulp fiction that that, that make it that sells the characters just the dialogue no no need for the great special effects and the cgis and all those things just the human interaction and the conversations they have made those films special yeah I, I absolutely agree. Sometimes there's times where it's just like, I, especially like the Clerks films. Personally, I like Clerks 2 more, and I think it might be because more stuff overall happens in there. But like sometimes I would put one of those films on just to have the conversation in the background because it's just hilarious. It is. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah that, yep. That's the classic line I'm thinking of. Or even the um, I had because so, I think it was like in early high school. That's when I had discovered 
all these films. Like I discovered, I knew of Clerks. I knew of it. That was it. But the first film that got me into the View Askew universe is uh, Dogma from watching it on TV, just randomly catching it there. And that's when I got into it. And I started watching all of them like really early high school, probably not the best influence, mind you. But um, I had so much fun describing just scenes from the films on there. Like uh, probably one of my favorites to describe is I'm not going to go into major detail on here, of course, but near the end of Clerks, when Dante is about to go out with that girl and the whole thing that happens in the back room and just as they're trying to unfold and discover what just happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. The guy that goes back into the bathroom and unfortunately enters immortality at a very unforeseen time. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he, he, he never he never came back out alive, at least. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. If anybody is watching this and they're kind of lost on it, just watch Clerks. It's, yes. it's worth the watch. Oh, my gosh, it is amazing to think that a film that good could be put together for I think they I think he had about twenty five thousand dollars to put a film together. And it's it, it's classic. It was something like that. Yeah. And he I mean, it, it wouldn't have, it, it would have completely destroyed him because he had like he used up all of his savings. He was sleeping like two hours a night. He actually worked at the um, at, at the Quick Mart. That was it. Um, quick. Was it Quick Mart or Quick Stop? God, I'm forgetting it there. But like he, he worked at that place. So he would work there during the day and then he would go home, change. He would come there. He would record everything at night. So that was a challenge unto itself. Um, but yeah, it was very much a thing where thankfully the independent community and just the, the cult following it got is really what propelled him and saved him at that point. Cause he was, he was in the hole with that. Again, that was like a lot of that, that number, like that 25,000, that was, uh, that was on credit cards, a lot of it. And I, I had it on VHS at the time. And of course I have a physical copy now on, on optical media, but I'm, I'm proud that I was a part of that culture that, that, that underground scene, you know, that that was part of helping propel him and then going to, you know, to see mall rats and chasing Amy and dogma. And it just it became a, a part of film history. Oh yeah. Him, not a good me. Part of just, just yeah. be clear. Yeah. Just be clear. <laughs> a very good part of film history as well. <laughs> yeah. There was um there was one thing first that I was going to ask you on here. So I know you've uh, you've said this a few times, but you're uh, you're 49, right? That's right. Uh, so even with that, because I'm just genuinely curious on this, um, how has your family kind of reacted to the whole YouTube thing that you've been doing, spending your time with that and really even like the audience that you've grown? Like, do they did they think it was really weird or a waste of time at the beginning or have they come? I, well, I'm sure they've come around to, but I guess, yeah, just what's been their thoughts on it overall? They have been immensely supportive of it. And, you know, it, it no one can be successful on their own. They really just can't. Everybody has somebody that helps uh, helps serve as their backbone, as their mentor, as, as as some supportive figure in their life. And and my wife and my son have been absolutely fantastic about both. They have really been supportive of this YouTube and the you know it 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 takes as you will know it it YouTube videos don't happen uh, quickly. They take quite a bit of time actually between recording, planning, recording, editing. All of the different things that are involved, they're, they're quite time consuming. And they've been very supportive of 
allowing me to have the time to be able to, to create the videos and connect with people and do all of these processes. It's, it's been wonderful. Gotcha. That's, that's really great to hear. It's always nice to hear that support there too. I know. Um, and you said your, I mean, your, your son is younger as well too. He's, well, of course he's your son, but he's 15. So like with, with this, does he think this is just like, the coolest thing for a dad to have and be doing or, or how's that go? I think he's kind of just used to the idea at this point. Like it's okay. like, you know, I, I'm not a celebrity. I don't see myself that way just cause I have a YouTube channel and certainly he doesn't see that, but you know, I think the more important thing he sees me as is just as his dad. And that that's is, good. Oh gosh, that's, that's worth everything in the world to me. So, you know, outside of all of those things at the end of the day, just, just having, a, you know, a family that I love and loves me back is worth everything in the world. That's awesome, man. And that, yeah. that's the most important thing, making sure you're fulfilled offline. That's right. That's right. Because yeah. otherwise you have to go look for fulfillment online. Oh, I never mind. So. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you could just read into that one. Whatever it is that fulfills you online. Maybe it's just shopping. Maybe it's hunting your next bird. You see? Maybe exactly. Just hunting your next game. Just yeah, saying. yeah. It could also be eighteen plus stuff, but that's fine. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to judge. Yeah, you yeah. do you. No judgments, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, because I've got um. I mean, I like I've got younger brothers who they think. I think it's at a point where they are used to it, but occasionally they will bring up. They're like, "Oh my god, you have this many subscribers," and I'm just like, "Yeah, I don't like." Honestly, I've been pretty aloof about it for the last few years, so I'm just like. You know, whatever happens, happens. It's all good. I'm not you. You you got you as in like my younger brothers. I'm like you all care way more about the numbers than I do at this point. <laughs> I have I have really tried to apply this principle about every single person in the world being the most important person in the world to someone else to the concept of subscribership. It's really mm-hmm. easy, especially when channels start to grow, to lose sight of that. And and I I when I when I think about everything from the beginning process of making a video all the way down to Take the time to answer the comments. All of those processes, I am always reminded that in nearly every situation, people do not watch YouTube in a group. Mm-hmm. They watch YouTube as a one-on-one experience. Everybody in the house here, even though I, you know I do make YouTube videos, everybody watches YouTube on their own device to watch their own thing that's their own interest. And most people watch YouTube as a one-on-one thing. They watch it on their phone or they watch it on their laptop or their tablet or whatever it is. But there's always an individual on the other side of the screen. And, you know, I've I've really tried to cater the content that way, but also remember to treat everybody that way. There's there is one person on the other side of the screen and, and they deserve my best work, my best effort and my respect for taking the time and trust to click on something that I made. And it's always something that's kind of they can kind of trip you up that you have to remember, too, is that there's a really, really big silent majority on there as well. Because it's like, even if you're getting 20,000 views on a video, you're not going to get 20,000 comments on there. You, you know, you could get 200, you could get 20 comments, but there's a ton of people who are watching that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of those big indicators of that is when you see a channel that has, say, 2,000 subscribers, and then you look at the view count, they have 200,000 views. Sure. Well, then they have a much larger group of people that have seen them for the first time mm-hmm. than have uh, clicked subscribe at that point. But they're obviously going to grow. And, and even in, in regardless of how many subscribers are on a channel, you have the opportunity to impact someone else's life in some meaningful way. 
And, and that's For what sure. makes YouTube maybe one of the greatest platforms out there is the ability to reach people it, it, that you, you'll never even meet. I've, I've heard people that write books and, and I've written three of them. I, I've, I've heard people. Oh. Yeah, I've actually written books. Um, I've heard people say a book is a conversation you have with a person that you'll never meet. A lot wow. of times a YouTube video is that way, <laughs> but when they comment on your video, you have an opportunity to, to reach and connect with a human being on a one-to-one -one basis when you see that comment. And I really, it get, you know as well as I do, it, it gets harder and harder the more channel mm -hmm. grows to be able to answer every comment. But I make time as often as possible to answer as many comments as possible so that people know I care. For sure. For sure. And and I definitely respect that. And it's it's even one of those things I because you you'll hear with people and I truly I guess I would say I don't even say I dread the day. I don't want this to happen. I don't want there to be a day where I just can't watch like I can't read comments or anything because, you know, there there's some people who they are way, way, way too big to the point where like it's it's, you know, feasibly not possible. And I'm one of those people I would say I. I'm sure there's some stuff that gets, you know, lost in the mix, so I can't say I read all of them, but I read I read as many comments as I can, and I reply to many on there as well, too. But even so, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this where you reply to people and they say something like, oh, wow, it's really cool that you're a huge YouTuber and you don't, uh, even though I'm, I'm sure you feel like a normal person, I feel like a normal person personally, but it's like people will think it's crazy that somebody will, t like somebody who's on the screen they will take the time out to reply to them. And even many times there will be people who even reply back and they'll say like, wow, this made my day. I had no idea I was going to get a response. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, it's being able to, to touch someone's life in some way, even a small way, those things don't happen in bulk. They happen on a, the, the nano level. They happen on the smallest of levels, one person at a time. That's how people's lives are impacted in some meaningful way, even if it's just to brighten up their day some way. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think even this is maybe a bit of a, a negative spin on it, but there's like, <laughs> there's times I, I put it like this, because I'm sure you've heard the excuse with some people might say, oh, I don't want to reply to comments or like, I don't, I don't have, I've heard before, like, I don't have time to reply to comments. And it's funny because there's, I mean, there's huge YouTubers, of course, where they're, they're just not able to you know, on that, it's, that's understandable. If you have like a channel with like 7 million subscribers and you're getting 10 million views per video, I get that. But I guess the thing I see that I find really comical and even insulting in a way is when there's people who still have that same idea and it almost feels like they kind of have this, I'm better than you because I'm on the screen and you're watching me on screen approach. So I don't have to be with the lowly commenters, but I'm like, dude, pump the brakes, hold your horses. You only got 2000 subscribers. Do not tell me you don't have time to to reply to comments. You can read these things. You can reply to them. All right. Like if I'm at this stage on my channel and I'm still able to reply and read, you can do the same thing. You you just need to bring your complex down. That's right. Everybody has the same 24 hours. Some people use them to create companies that absolutely revolutionize and change the world of technology, assisted living all of those things that, that absolutely impact the lives of everyone worldwide in some meaningful way. And some people do absolutely nothing and get buried in a shallow grave and are forgotten because they chose to do nothing. But we all get the same 24 hours a day. That's true. That's true. But sometimes you just want to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I don't <laughs> spend all 24 hours of them awake. Heavens, no. Yeah.
but yeah oh and i guess yeah i was even thinking of like sometimes you just have a day where you just want to sleep a ton or do nothing or like you know that's when you have your introvert recharge days where that, there's been <laughs> you know we, everybody I, I, deserves that oh, yeah go ahead no no it's fine it was just, everybody deserves a chance to, to recharge their batteries you absolutely. need it you, you, you absolutely have to have that and it's not because things are um difficult the people are difficult to deal with or something that you just have to go shut down for a while and get away from difficult people or something we're human we, we we need breaks that's why we have vacations from work and things like that because we need the opportunity to to do something different mm-hmm. and i think there's even been it's i love seeing this sometimes not like the pain with this mind you but I, i've loved seeing like posts online for like people discovering this for the first time or even like discovering it within yourself or like recently i had seen you know a post where somebody was asking for help and they were just it was i think it was on reddit somewhere but they were just like obviously kind of younger and they were asked like why do i feel like crap when i'm done hanging out with my friends it's like i go out i hang out with my friends i I like hanging out with my friends but i don't know like when when i come home like i'm just i'm irritable i'm tired i don't really want to talk to them for some reason i don't get it and it was like oh you know granted don't take this as medical advice but you you might be an introvert and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that people are going to be different and it was the it was the whole battery thing that was brought up there as well too it's like you you have friends, you're a social person, you can hang out with them. That's all good. But it sounds like you need to be by yourself to recharge your batteries. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think like, I'm not sure about you, but like me personally, I think I was like 16, 17 when I figured that out, but I didn't know the words for them or what to assign to it. And and you know what? That's perfectly okay. It really is. I'm, just like Spider-Man has a spidey sense, you know, the spider sense tingles when something's wrong and he's learned to trust that instinct. If, if, if someone feels like their spider sense is tingling, they're going, look, I, I feel like I need to have a, an equal batch time alone as time with friends or, you know, a, a balance one way or the other with that. Trust how you feel about those things. It's okay. Yeah. I I clearly remember, like, when I was 16 at my, my first job, you know, that, that game store, uh, typically, like, we worked 11 to 7, so I would wake up at, like, nine or 10 go into work at 11 my manager was one of my best friends and like when we would get off work we would hang out until you know like 10 11 p.m whatever it was and i remember i always had fun with that but there was one time and this is before i knew about any of this but there was one time he asked if we wanted to hang out i was like i i don't know why i kind of just want to go home and like just play video games for tonight i felt like bad saying that he's like no dude don't worry about it we've been hanging out for like for like two weeks every night like i get it you could you, you just need some quiet time it's all good and i just felt so weird because like socially you think at that time when you're learning everything you're socially thinking oh well what's wrong with me i have to go hang out with people but it's just no now i realize like that's when it was coming out that's when i had hit my limit where i was like i need to go home i need to recharge for a night or two and then i'll be back out <laughs> It's funny that when we have kids and we have connections with other adults that have kids, the same room together, same place together, that kind of thing. The mm-hmm. expectation of kids is always that they will immediately, because, you know, hey, they're kids, they'll immediately make best friends, go out and go play together, go have a great time, do all those things. When adults get together in a room and don't know each other in a social situation, could you imagine how awkward that would be? <laughs> but this is the expectation we place on children. So it's like they, they get this demand on them right away that they're not allowed to have that time that says, 
I don't want to go be social right this minute. I want to hang with family or, you know, be quiet or hang out or whatever it is. But we push them and go, oh, no, 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 no. Look, there's other kids over there. Go play with other kids. They're kids. You're supposed to play with kids. But we would never do that as adults. First of all, if you approached adults that way as adults, they they think you're mental. Yeah. But but it, we <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we just would. It doesn't work that way. You know, one of the most yeah. and and she knows. I I don't make any bones about it. One of the most painful experiences in my life is go to my is to go to my wife's high school reunion because number one, I don't know a soul, and number two, they're all drinking, and so it, <laughs> it there is no way for me to communicate and connect and and be a part of those social conversations i don't know them they've been drinking they're they're there to see each other not me and and so that makes for very difficult social circumstances that's okay and and Mm -hmm. so i i I have i just always look at if you're highly social if you're highly introverted whatever those cases are be comfortable in your skin it's perfectly fine yeah i think that's great yeah, I think even uh, actually, even that you're mentioning that. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, ask. Do you uh, do you not drink? Not anymore. Um, okay. and, and not that I was ever not that it was ever a big thing for me, but um, you know, children don't do what we say; they do what we do. Yes, they do what we model for them. And so I I, I don't have alcohol in the, alcohol in the house. I don't smoke any of those kind of things. Obviously, I'm not a crackhead. <laughs> so. <laughs> But you know what? It's 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 never what we say. It's always what we do. It's what we model. Whether it's a matter of leadership or it's a matter of parenting or whatever it is, whatever the the example we set is, is the example of that they will follow. For and, sure. And and you know what? Because I was I was in fact sixteen years old once, and my parents had a liquor cabinet, and they liked to go out of town for the weekend. I might have raided it once. <laughs> See yeah. that it, that's exactly it. You take away temptation, you eliminate the problem. Sure. Yeah, and I, you know, it's one of those things too, because like personally, and I, I was just asking, because not even with a weird thing, it's like I'm one of those things I would say I don't drink. Um, but personally, for me, I wasn't raised around it or anything. And then even so, when I was trying to drink, it's like some. This isn't to say I've never drank. I've I've drank before. I've been drunk before. There's been times I like alcohol in a certain setting. It's fine. I'll have fun with the right people, with the right mood, and all that. Most of the time, I don't enjoy alcohol. I'll just be honest. It doesn't. I, I think it's from, I I don't have any of those physical vices. Like I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do any other drugs. And that's just honestly how it is. But I, funny enough, I think it's from like game console repair and such. I have fixed up enough like smoke filled, like nicotine tar filled computers and game Mm. consoles that I don't, especially in my house, I don't want people to smoke in my premises, whether it be, you know, a big house or a small apartment or a car or what have you. Uh, even with um, with alcohol, honestly, when I taste it, it just tastes like I'm drinking isopropyl alcohol. And I'm like, well, I, this is the stuff I like. I clean com- the inside of computers and game consoles with like, I don't want to be putting this in me. This does a lot of it just doesn't. I'm, I'm a big taste person. And a lot of it does not taste great to me in all honesty. I've never been cool enough to smoke. I was, I, <laughs> I remember I, I worked at a grocery store as my first job. And um, I had tried to smoke about a full pack of cigarettes in the, the course of my entire uh, smoking endeavor, about one pack worth, maybe. And I had tried to smoke one on a break. And I kid you not, one of the cashiers walked outside and looked at, she was there to smoke a straight up smoke cigarette legit. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't smoke cigarettes. 
Like I was just simply too nerdy, too geeky, not cool enough to be smoking a cigarette. And I never even made it through a full pack of them. Good. Yeah, probably best. Good. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the time where like, you know what, honestly, being embarrassed and called out like that, that is probably one of the best decisions that somebody ever made. And maybe they didn't even realize it. No, they were just it... making fun of you for being a nerd trying to smoke. And it's like, oh, wow, no, you didn't get, oh, I don't know, cancer. You completely bypassed that. Yep. Yep. That that I have. I've, I've, I have, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah, I'm 49, but I have, I have a very healthy, good, fulfilling life. And it, I That's think much of it has just had to do with positive mental attitude and proper choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, so I, I, you know, I might have a 49 year old um, body to live in, but from my mindset, I, I still feel as much connected to youthfulness and fun and all of those kind of things. And not in one of those weird, awkward ways where you're, you know, you're, you're having your midlife crisis and have to go out and go buy a Ferrari, you know? I mean, no, I just, I just genuinely have fun and enjoy it. Sure. Sure. Well, I know when you'll hit your midlife crisis, cause you'll buy that CDX. I probably will. If I see another one <laughs> pop up on marketplace, I'm probably going to get swindled into it. I'm just not going to, uh-huh. and not by the seller, by the, by the aura of ownership, mm-hmm. by the chase, <laughs> I will not be able to resist. I'll have to put off like going out to, you know, get a burger, I, I, you know, for like three months or I, whatever. I'll do something and just justify this. It's yeah. all good. So at that point, then the game console is going to be healthier. See, I, for, you know, I, I had a, a home arcade for 10 years and I'm, I'm oh. talking like, like 20 plus games in the garage, which I had completely converted over and closed in into a home arcade. In fact, I have a video of it sitting on my channel buried kind of deep a couple of years back. That actually oh, shows off the whole then. thing with the pinball machines and the arcades and all those things that were part of that. And my justification to my wife at the time was always, it's cheaper than a crack habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, one of my best friends, he is, uh, oh, I, I want to say, I think he's going to be hitting 40 here if he's not 40 already. But it's funny because he'll just have like different endeavors that he goes into. And I, I just love him for this. Um, but he said he's, he's very blunt. He's very direct about things as well too. And he will just go crazy on like house projects and all that. And one of the things he did, I want to say like a couple of years ago, he found out that he could buy, um, broken or kind of older appliances, like, uh, mainly washers and dryers for really cheap because they're broken and they're these big, heavy things that people don't want to deal with. And he doesn't mind dealing with them. And he was just learning how to fix them. He was fixing them, reselling them, having fun with it. So he even told me at one point, uh, he had like four or five washers wow. in his, uh, <laughs> and, and multiple dryers as well too set up. Because he was, you know, still, he was buying them faster than he could fix them. And I think I even asked like what his wife thought. Cause like sometimes she'll just get annoyed and just be like, Oh, you need to get rid of everything and all this. And like, he, he'll have ways of like explaining things to her, like kind of side tangent. But at one point, um, his Xbox 360 broke, you know how it goes. You send it off to Microsoft. So he went out, he bought another 360, but he got the elite and it was like $400. Wow. His wife flipped out. She said her excuse was she could have bought curtains with that money. Oh, he wasn't interested in spending that money on curtains. And at one point she complained about it like this is months later. And he was like, 
all right, so I got to ask you, have you or have you not watched a movie, like a DVD movie, on one or both of these Xboxes? You have? All right. If you don't like my stuff, that's fine, but you cannot complain about it and be using it at the same time. (laughs) So if you're using it, then I think there is use that you are making out of it. And I am using both these consoles, and he was, in all honesty. But he just told her, it's like, hey, you know what? You're complaining that I have these two systems, but you've been using the both of them, so I don't think there's an issue. Um, but on the uh, on the washer and dryers, he was pretty much saying, I think at one point his wife had complained because it's like, dude, you have like five washers, five dryers in here. And he was like, look, I'm going through a thing. I don't know if it's midlife crisis or what. I'm having fun with this. It's exciting. I'm buying these. I'm fixing them up. I'm selling them. Just let me do this for the next few months, few years, whatever it is. Or if you want me to, I can go out. I can cheat on you with like 10 other women and I could spend all this money on a Ferrari and then get us in debt. So do you want me to do that? Or do you want me to spend a few hundred dollars on appliances? Washing machines it is. That That's exactly what she went with. <laughs> Besides that, there's a fun to be had with washing machines that you can have in your very own home. More than just washing clothes. So simple as that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, just leave it to me to to digress the level of the conversation down to new stooped low levels. <sighs> Dude, I, I think the people who are kind of winding down near the end here, they can appreciate that. So yeah. it's all good. <laughs> so e- even thinking all that, I actually do kind of wind it want to wind it down here. But Blaine, you know, it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, to tech issues and all that aside, it's been a pleasure speaking with you for the last, you know, hour and a half, almost two hours here. You too, man. I had a, a blast. I really did. And I'm glad we've had this chance to, to chat voice to voice. Oh, yeah. So, you Hell know, yeah, man. The, we've literally gone into a, 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 a culture where everything is typed up messages, text messages and email messages and all of these things. And we sometimes lose the value of voice to voice or face to face or in-person connection. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been it's been real fun for sure. Um, I, I know even on this as well, too, just even for uh, for people who've made it to the end, if they want to hear about this. Oh, my God, we have how many how many tech issues have we run into trying to get this done? Uh, three, I think. Yes, I, I'd say that's about right. We had this where like we got Blaine connected and then uh, we were doing offline recordings at first as well as with Zencaster. And then your recorder was interfering so you couldn't hear me for a bit yeah i i I tried to to have an offline recording of it just in case anything happened you know redundancy redundancy is key in in digital life absolutely and it 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 kind of crapped out at about the 10 minute mark and so yeah that one that was that was what i like to refer to as a self-inflicted wound though i kind of did that to myself (laughs) when that software (laughs) it's all good and then you know we're doing the other thing and then even so there's been a few selective cuts because like we about 15 minutes in like we we decided to take it from the top and like 15 minutes in uh you know it stopped recording and then we had to go uh, another 20 minutes it stopped recording and this last one thankfully has been good i think we finally got it now third time's the charm yes it is and it's it's been fantastic and i sure appreciate you inviting me on mario's minute it's been been really great dude it's all good good this is uh sometimes this is just you know the the best time when i can talk to another creator another person online and just have these conversations like this because you know there's there's so many times where you just uh i i guess the feeling of kind of availability what we're talking about with games and such it's like yeah you know i can i can reach out to this person i can call them whatever it is but like am i going to 
maybe not. I don't know. Like that, you know, that call will just not happen. And it's nothing like even, you know, against anyone there. It's just, we're all busy. We're all doing things. And it just, you know, slips sometimes. I have this thing that I call YouTube editing pace. And it, what it boils down to is the, the, it's something that think media talks about too, where they say like, be bright, be brilliant, be brief, be done. And so they, you know, the idea is to get in, don't waste people's time, get as much information as you can, keep a fast pace to things and get out. Lost in all of that is personality. And so it's really been great that, that we could chat and maybe just share a little bit of personality outside of the, the usual tech 101 kind of stuff. For sure. Yeah. And that's uh, honestly, that's why I kind of like doing this as well, too, because there's uh, I mean, there's different places where it's like I, I feel like I, I put a bit of personality into my videos, but you're not going to get all that personality out of, you know, a video with that with with anyone if it's just going to be, you know, a tutorial or anything else, what have you. So you can do the more creative stuff as well. But like, honestly, this is my my monthly public outlet here on the channel to really just talk about whatever the hell I want to and kind of just be myself. And sometimes uh, sometimes I'll have even a guest on. So uh, there's times where I, I I'm sure you might actually i'll even ask have you uh done any other co- like podcasts like this um i did the amico all access podcast several months okay. back and um and oeb pete and his his team there they're they're fantastic just a great group of gamers and uh amico is certainly a discussion for another day but they but pete is a, <laughs> a wonderful just a wonderful human being in fact he gives all of the monetization from his channel to children's miracle network Oh, that's extra awesome. life just yeah just a wonderful salt of the earth guy um open every box to pete just wonderful people he's he's up in canada right above seattle in fact gotcha yeah so, so probably in the uh british columbia area i think so mm-hmm. okay sounds but, about right but um you know I, I i don't normally live stream because i really try to get as much information crammed in to a shorter time as possible so that people feel like their time's been respected and as, and as you know because you've been around youtube a long time no good deed goes unpunished so what, what a lot of people, a lot of gamers have found, and I, I'm, I'm stretching your show out a little longer, but no, what, it's all good. It's all good. what yeah. a lot of people have found is that they have live streamed on their main channel. And because people tend to jump in and out of live streams, YouTube has slaughtered them because their retention went down. And so it stopped mm-hmm. promoting their videos and doing all kinds of things. So it's a no good deed goes unpunished kind of thing. And so a lot of people have been encouraged if you're going to do live streaming or do YouTube shorts start a new channel Mm -hmm. yeah because even the shorts that's another big thing where it's like you'll have these like one minute videos that get promoted a ton but then you know it'll impact all your other stuff so then like at least for me personally i haven't really done the shorts thing because i just don't feel like they fit with the channel and honestly a lot of times they're just much lower quality content compared to everything else so it kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb with like and it could be anything from like the delivery the tone um even just the straight up quality itself where it's like oh your regular videos look so good and then this short is super pixelated and looks and sounds awful uh and then when it comes to streaming you know i personally i did it for years and i'm just not to say i'll never stream again but i just don't like streaming (laughs) yeah same here and and i i feel like the best product has come out from not over editing but but careful editing that respects the individual's time and make sure that they get all the information they need in the best possible way that i can present it 
And I know you, sure. you've done the same thing. And the, the quality of your content's incredible. It absolutely has well, been incredible over the years. Well, well, thanks, man. Thanks. I, uh, I, I try and put out something that's at least watchable on there. But I do know, um, I know you've taken a you, certainly what you're saying. You've taken the approach where you're trying to get people in and out there, and it's one of those things. I am painfully cognizant. My videos might be a little bit longer, sometimes too long. But I've, uh, I've told this to Adam Korlick before, where we've talked about this, and I said that the thing is. I try and answer as much as I can within the video itself. And some people aren't going to watch that, but like I've had many people where they say, Oh, I didn't want to watch this 30 minute video. So I watched a five minute video, then an eight minute video, then 12 minute video, then a four minute video. And I spent all this time and I was super confused. And then I came back here and I just watched your video from start to finish. And everything was super explained and thorough and went through. So I'm one of those people I would rather have, a thousand like not i'd rather have a hundred people complain that i spent too long on something as opposed to a thousand or even two thousand people complain that i was too fast i skipped over details i wasn't thorough enough yeah totally understandable you've made some great content over the years and i can only imagine how many people have joined the mod community just based on having watched your content and decided <laughs> you know what i can do that too and that's, you know, that's what it comes down to, like just kind of demystifying a lot of this stuff and making it accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, even uh, on this, uh, so Blaine, if people want to find out more about you, check out your content, follow you anywhere else, uh, where can people find you? Well, of course, I'm on YouTube and it's a, it's a really super secret channel name that I used. It's barely distinguishable at all called Blaine Locklear. <laughs> Good to know. I, just, I don't think yeah. it, I, I, a lot of people would have had a hard time figuring that out. Yeah, they probably would have. Yeah, gosh almighty. And uh, and I and I and I do tend to hang out on Twitter some too. Perfect. And All I right, so a, I'll put. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I'll put your links down in the description of this. Man, thank you. And I'm gonna I'm gonna share also uh, your podcast, your channel, and your content on on my own as well. I spend a fair bit of time in my community tab on YouTube. You know, YouTube wants people on the platform. And the people that watch my content are on the platform. I spend a lot of time. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if you post content to the community tab, especially if you share your videos and, and give people a reason to watch them in the post itself, YouTube can oftentimes stick them right on the homepage of YouTube for somebody to see. So it may not show up in the list of thumbnails on the homepage in the top recommended videos that might just show up in the community tab. For sure. Yeah, that's uh the community tab is definitely worthwhile using and such on Golden. there. So I have and I have noticed that with you as well. I mean, you have really long posts that are on there. Sometimes I do. Yeah, it's my yeah. Well, oh, you I'm know not what? saying it even in a bad way. That's that's admirable. Well, you know, it's my it's kind of like my you know, it, it, I don't get to ordinarily spend a whole lot of time just connecting with people in that way through a, a how to video. So that, that kind of gives me a chance to share a little bit more humanity that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people like seeing that. Yes. Yeah. So for our final thing here, Blaine, I'm going to pass this off to you because you're the guest, but for what I like to do at the end of these episodes is I like to pick a keyword and then you and I will be able to do this. But uh, when this vid episode goes live, we can look in the comments section. And if anybody uses this keyword in their comments on the YouTube upload, we'll know that we did well, that they made it to the end of this episode. And I guess technically we did as well. So Blaine, what keyword or key phrase, I suppose, uh, do you think would be good for that? Wow. I think maybe one of my son's 
favorite phrases will work there. Gratitude is the best attitude. All right. That's awesome. Gratitude is the best attitude. So we're we're going to be going wholesome on this. Yep. Well, <laughs> so you know, if you... I guess that's how I'm wired up. No. Yeah. Perfect. So if you use that uh, that phrase in your comments on the YouTube upload here, we'll know that you made it to the end. Anyways, uh, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone. And until next time.